Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. Great to be in a nice, dry place, isn't it? Praise God. Uh, Very thankful uh, to be here, especially uh, on such an auspicious occasion. Uh, you will probably be telling your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, about the day that the United States moved its embassy to Jerusalem, recognizing it the capital, in fact. Uh, And even though that may seem a bit like, uh, so what, uh, scripturally, it's a big deal. Biblically, uh, from God's point of view, it's a big deal. The United States has made a commitment, uh, and that commitment is what's going to irritate everyone by moving the, by uh, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital, in fact, is a commitment that the U.S. is making, uh, and it's the commitment that draws fire. The point of commitment is the point of attack. The enemy does not care if you're uncommitted. He'll leave you alone, and if that's all you want, you're doing fine. But to the degree you are committed, to that degree you will draw fire. And so please remember our president in prayer, uh, and, uh, and please remember to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to want to ask my wife to come up uh, to explain some of the materials. She does a, a pretty good job on most of them. Well, her books, her books are the best things, and she's very humble. And so she doesn't speak of her books like they should be spoken about. I'll take care of that. Okay, well, um, Sam's message tonight will be, um, as Pastor said, Messiah and the Feast of Hanukkah. And it's fully, uh, more fully um, uh, explained in Messiah and the Feast of Israel book. But... It's not only Hanukkah, it begins with Passover all the way to the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is a great book if you don't have it. And each holiday, you can look up the chapter and read what's happening and see how Jesus fulfills everything, because it's all about him. But if you don't like to read, we have a DVD set that is based on this book, and it's six uh, teachings, uh, really wonderful for your personal study or a, a group. And then this Messianic Foundation book, if you've ever wondered why, how come it's to the Jew first, what's all that about? Well, this book will give you a really great understanding and why it's so important that we've recognized that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel and why God loves Zion. And his, you know what it also explains? because I'm a Gentile, just let you know. And yeah, (laughs) it explains our role as Gentiles in the body of Messiah, Jews and Gentiles together, one new man, but how we are called, our calling to reach all people, but Jewish people. There you go. Thank you, darling. Uh, Isn't she wonderful? Uh, her books are really gold. Uh, 
Her book, Honoring God, is used in women's ministries around the world. There's a few of them on the table uh, in the foyer. She's working on her fourth book, Pray For Her. Uh, it's a wonderful book. Uh, she's just finishing up the drafts on it now. Uh, but please remember this next book in prayer about uh, the women in the genealogy of the Messiah, how each woman was chosen by God to be in that genealogy because of the grace of God that is seen in the life of each of those women. So please remember her in prayer. Uh, I'm working on another book called Messianic Marriage Matters. It's like giving birth to elephants, I'm telling you, you know. It's hard writing books. Uh, but in any case, the materials are out there. You can go to wordofmessiah.org and uh, get a lot of free downloads and all kinds of materials. Uh, Bookstore is there as well. You can get what you want there. A whole lot more there than we have here. Uh, and if you wish to keep us in prayer, uh, please fill out this envelope. Uh, if you do so, we'll send you our newsletter on the, on the envelope. You can put down your email. We'll send you by email, whatever you want, whatever works. You say, well, what's that got to do with prayer? You'll forget. Uh, you'll forget. You know, just another pretty face comes by, and that's it. Uh, but we really want you to be uh, praying for us. We, send, uh, we let you know what God is doing, how God's doing some great and mighty things. We just uh, consecrated a new messianic congregation in Virginia, uh, and they're popping up. It's like, you know, if, uh, if, if, if giving birth to babies was this easy, we'd be really overpopulated. Uh, but we're seeing the Lord work in, and I have to just say, miraculous ways. We're seeing God do some things in the day we live in I've never seen before. I've just never seen before what God is doing. We want you to be encouraged uh, through our newsletter to find out what the Lord is doing. Samples are in the foyer on the table. Uh, fill out this, and we'll send it to you either by snail mail, email, however you want it. It'll be our joy to encourage you in the things of God and, and to burden your heart even more, uh, along with the Lord's, uh, for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, we are a faith ministry totally a faith ministry. Uh, so don't give anything to word of Messiah that would take away from your proper giving to your home congregation. You, you break my heart if you do that. We believe in the ministry of the local congregation. We plant them. We believe in them so strongly. And so please uh, just fill it out and we're glad to send the newsletter and only as the Lord would abundantly bless you above and beyond your normal giving. Would we be thankful for your prayerful consideration of our evangelistic uh, and church planting work? Uh, so that's uh, the commercial announcement as it goes. Uh, next, a week uh, from Friday, we'll be having a big outreach for Hanukkah. Please remember us in prayer uh, here in Charlotte. We're having an outreach. Uh, we do outreaches all over. And so we really appreciate your prayers for us. Last, since I was here last, uh, in Israel, what a joy. Let me tell you some of the blessings before we get right into the message. Uh, I hold conferences for training leaders. Uh, we're doing planting operations in Israel and elsewhere. Uh, but the leaders came, had about 60 leaders who came for training on discipleship. We do a lot. We, we believe in discipleship really heavy and hard. Uh, 
And what blessed my heart was not just these heroes of the faith, they're always my heroes. Here they are showing up for training, a little embarrassing. Uh, but eight Palestinian brothers showed up. They took their lives in their hands to come to Tel Aviv to hear a Jewish man teach on discipleship. Uh, I was so humbled by that, that the Lord made us into one body, you know, the unity we have. So we're really a lot of blessings that are going on. Uh, time does, you know, we have to wait to heaven before we hear about all the blessings that go on. But let's get right down to it if we can. If you receive one of these bulletins, uh, it would be helpful to follow along. The scriptures are in there, outline in there, etc. If you receive one of those bulletins, it will be most helpful for you now. Uh, and as Miriam said, there's more, of course. There's always more, more meat on the bone in, the, in my book I wrote. Uh, but we want to touch upon a few high points to the glory of that name, which is above every name. Uh, you'll notice in the bulletin, if you have it, on the left side are some scriptures. Uh, let's read uh, John chapter 10, verse 22, uh, just verse 22 and 23. Let's just read those two verses together. Here we go. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple at the portico of Solomon. Father, we pray for your blessing on the study of your word, but not just for the study. We do pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our minds and hearts to the truth of the word. But we pray as we're yielded to the living word our Lord Jesus. We pray the Holy Spirit would not only enlighten our minds, but empower us to live out the truth, that we might actually be a testimony in the day we live in. And we're thankful, therefore, for the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah. We're thankful that you placed it in the Bible so Bible believers would understand your priorities and live accordingly. Add your blessing, we pray, for it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. And so let's note a couple of things here. Uh, when we think about uh, Hanukkah, it means dedication. It has to do with the rededication of the Jerusalem temple. Uh, a few hundred years earlier, uh, there was a, a grassroots revolt uh, by some Bible believers called the Maccabees. Uh, and they were Bible believers and didn't like what was going on, politically speaking. Uh, the power at the time was the Syrian nation, and they had conquered Judah and uh, Judea and had captured the Jerusalem temple and defiled it by offering, uh, he wanted to have a little barbecue, so he offered a, a swine on the holy altar. It just wasn't appropriate there, you see. Uh, and he therefore made it unusable for worship. A defiled temple is unusable for worship. The presence of, that's why, what's the first name of the Holy Spirit? Holy. And therefore, we have to understand to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, do you not know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? And so, the Holy Spirit cannot use a defiled temple. Uh, the Maccabees, recognizing uh, what had happened, of course, uh, they started this grassroots revolt. Uh, and the miracle of miracles was that this ragtag group of Bible believers were able to push the greatest army in the world at that time out of the land to capture the temple. 
They weren't looking for like political victories or anything of that sort. They just wanted a holy temple. They would have been satisfied with the Syrian government uh, laying down the law on them, uh, but quite honestly, they just wanted to worship God. The rest of the issues were not their issues. They just wanted to worship God, and the temple had to be rededicated, captured and rededicated, for there to be holy worship. Now, in light of that, there's a bunch of other details my book goes into, but if I tell you everything, you won't have to buy the book, so I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> when we look at the situation in John chapter 10, we find it amazingly that Jesus observed Hanukkah. John puts it in the gospel account. You say, well, what's unusual about that? It's the only place in the Bible where Hanukkah is mentioned as a holiday it's in John chapter 10. In other words, it was prophesied in the book of Daniel. And my, my, my book goes into that a bit. Uh, and it took place, the whole battle with the Maccabees and the Syrians took place uh, uh, in 165 B.C., uh, between the Testaments, so to speak, between Malachi and Matthew. And so the only place where it's recorded and observed is in John chapter 10, WWJD. What would Jesus do? He'd celebrate Hanukkah. You say, well, wouldn't that get confusing with Christmas? He never celebrated Christmas. The, in the Bible, the only one who celebrated birthdays were pagans. It was just never, birthdays were just never celebrated. And it was only about 150 years after his death and resurrection that the church got around to thinking about celebrating his birth. It took another couple of hundred years to land on what date it would be and all that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Jesus was observing Hanukkah, celebrating Hanukkah. And what we see in John chapter 10 from that point on is his Hanukkah sermon his teaching on Hanukkah, and so we want to understand something. The Gospel of John was written when I, when I took my theological training. I was taught how the Gospel of John was written to Gentiles. Uh, Matthew was written to the Jews, and etc. cetera. Uh, and I, when I read through John, I was thinking to myself, well, John really wanted those Gentiles to understand how, what a Jewish faith they have. Because the festivals of Israel outline the Gospel of John. Uh, we know that Jesus uh, ministered in the flesh for about three, three and a half years as Messiah because John is outlined by Passovers. Uh, we know all the festivals are noted in John, and including Hanukkah. And so what was being done here was a re-emphasis of God's calling upon Jew and Gentile, like upon all Bible believers. Uh, and so as my wife Miriam wonderfully said, everything she says is wonderful, to the Jew first was what the, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles taught. Uh, and so we want to understand this is being emphasized in the Gospel of John particularly. And so we appreciate that issue. But why would Jesus have anything to do with Hanukkah 
It's not even part of the top seven in the book of Leviticus, uh, the things that are, are done annually in the, from the book of Leviticus. This was an added value later on because God was sending a message. And why he wanted it in the Bible, why he wanted it in the New Testament, why he wanted it in John, and why he had Jesus observing it was to tell the whole body of Christ that God ain't through with the Jews. And even though the enemy of God may come against Israel, and he is and will, he expects the body of Christ to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem and speaking truth to power that we might have the right to bring the truth to the powerless. And so we're called to such a time as this. And so we want to appreciate the issue here of Hanukkah because it had to do with God making sure the Jewish people would not be annihilated. Because that was what the Syrian king wanted to do. He wanted to wipe out the Jewish people because we were a little uppity, you know? He didn't want us doing Jewish things, and we said, no, God wants us doing that stuff, so we got to do it. No, you can't do it. Well, we're going to do it. And so every family that observed any kind of biblical issues, they would crucify the family. It was a horrible time. It took some courage to be a Bible believer in those days. And so let's understand the whole issue here with Hanukkah. Why would Jesus want to observe Hanukkah? Why would we identify with Hanukkah? Why would God want Hanukkah in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, no less? It's because he saw that the work that he would do was prefigured in Hanukkah because a temple that is defiled is useless to God. And he realized that what the true temple is. For you are the temple of God. And sin has defiled us. And therefore we want to understand that the work of God, Jesus dying for our sins to cleanse us, that we might be a holy temple for holy worship. Is what Hanukkah was speaking to. And that's why the early church during the first century, excuse me for a second, all the hot air is right around me. I don't get it. And that's why the early church during the first century, while all the apostles were there, while the apostles were still serving, they all celebrated these festivals because WWJD, what would Jesus do? They observed them. These were the biblical festivals that were meant to not only glorify Jesus, but be a testimony of God's grace to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so as we understand a little bit of the background of this matter and all of these kind of issues, we want to appreciate what, what God wants us to learn as we now consider uh, Jesus' Hanukkah sermon, what he was teaching. Remember, we may be unaware of Hanukkah. Everyone in the Bible times was aware of it. Every person uh, in the day of Jesus was aware of it. All the early church was informed and aware of it. These were the things that they observed as they followed Jesus, uh, even though it may not be something that's you know, normal for many of us to do. And so I want to appreciate what's going on here. It says now, I'd like you to take a look 
Hanukkah, it says in verse 24, the Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now that seems like a really short chapter if he just said, okay, I am, move on. Well, let's understand the issues here. First of all, that's a typical question. Hanukkah is a time when we look for a savior. Hanukkah is a time when we look for a deliverer. Hanukkah is a time when we look for someone to redeem us from the bondage of the enemy. And at that time, Israel, the Judea in particular, were under the Roman heel. The Roman government was in charge, just like the Syrians were earlier. And so they were looking for another Maccabee, another Maccabee who would come and deliver them just like before. But Jesus is going to let them know that one greater than the Maccabees has come, one greater than the Maccabees. And so when they raised that question, that was a typical question to raise at Hanukkah. And maybe in some parts of the world with the Jewish community still being persecuted, as in Europe, uh, when I'm in Europe ministering, I'm cautioned by the believers there not to look like a Jew, not to wear anything on my head or to wear a Mogandav or the Jewish star or anything, because you'll be publicly attacked in the streets if you are. Uh, in Berlin, uh, doing outreach there, I was attacked by Palestinians sharing the gospel, but as a Jew sharing the gospel, you know, I am who I am. Uh, uh, even though it's, it's against the law uh, in many countries in Europe, especially Germany, to be anti-Semitic, they won't enforce those anti-Semitism laws against the Palestinians because they don't want blowback from uh, the Islamic uh, religion. And so uh, that's what goes on. And so there are many places they're still probably wondering, we need some help here. We need a redeemer. Not an uncommon question at Hanukkah, you see. But the answer that Jesus gave was kind of mystifying, isn't it? I mean, they're saying to him, just tell us. Don't keep us in suspense. If you're the Messiah, say so. He could have said, yeah, I am. But what did he say? Let's take a look. Verse 25. Take a look at what Jesus says here. Jesus answered him saying, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these uh, bear witness of me. He's saying there, I told you, my words, I told you, and my works already testify of me. Now, let me explain something. Everyone has their ideas about Messiah. A lot of people have ideas about Christ. I see pictures of him, wonderfully painted pictures, and he always looks like the king of the Norwegians, uh, just the way he's made out to look like. Uh, uh, some of my best friends are Norwegians, not against Norway in any way. Uh, but he was a Jew, you see what I'm saying? And so they have all kinds of ideas about the Christ, you see, back then too. See, back then, they wanted a military ruler. They wanted a warrior to come in and beat up and destroy the Romans. That's what they wanted. If you were to say, would you like someone to die for your sins? or someone to throw out the Romans. They would say, B, throw out the Romans. And so we want to understand that if he had said, I'm the Messiah, they would have understood that as a military uprising. 
they would have understood it in just that way. So he couldn't say just simply say yes. On the other hand, he can't say no because he is the Messiah. But his words and his works testify of him. You say, why are you having those cough drops? My attitude is great. My body, though, you know, out of man decayeth. What can I tell you? And so we want to understand what he's doing here. He's pointing them back to his words and his work. He had already made it clear. In John chapter 4, if you remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, she had said, uh, uh, when Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. And he said to her, the one you're speaking of is here. I am the way, the truth, and life, he will say. He had said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world in chapter 8. He had already clear on all of these kind of issues here. He is the good shepherd. He has already clearly talked about being the Messiah. But they hadn't listened to his words or paid attention to his works because they wanted what they wanted. They wanted the kind of Messiah to fulfill their agenda. They weren't interested in God's agenda. And many of us may be in the same situation. Your prayer plate may be just filled with your own agenda, what you want God to do for you, rather than you seeing what the Word of God says that he wants you to live by, how he wants you to live. And so we want to appreciate the problem here. You see, the Maccabees had already given a victory. It was a short-lived victory. Because right after, they threw out the Syrians, not long after the Romans came to town. So whatever they did was going to be short-lived until the kind of Messiah that the people wanted would have given a short-lived victory. And maybe that's all we care about. Maybe all we care about is, you know, how, how can I get through the night? How can I live this day out? Rather than God's long-term purpose for our lives. And therefore, we want to understand that the whole issue is very different from Jesus, from God's point of view. You say, well, what do you mean? Because the Maccabees, they could point, they could point to the, uh, to the Syrians, to the desecrated temple and all that, and they can say, there's the problem. See, the problem is out there. You see that? That's what we got to do. Man, don't we want that? All we, man, if someone would only tell me all my problems are out there and not in here. No, no, that's why they didn't want what Jesus was talking about. That's why they didn't care about what he actually did. Because he wasn't saying that the problems are outside of you. He was saying the problem is inside of you. Therefore, he was going to be the savior from God. You see, when you read through the historical accounts like 1 Maccabees, uh, there's are historical books written. Judas Maccabee, the hero of that whole scene, he was called a savior. How short-lived was that salvation, huh? And maybe some of us, we just want a quick fix too. We just want a quick fix. I know one person, uh, I was, uh, wanted to get married, and I said, well, let's pray that God will raise up a godly man. She, could, she said, I can't wait. I said, what do you mean you can't wait? She said, no, I need to get married right away. I feel like a failure when I'm not married. 
her whole life, she thought that that would be the only thing that would validate her. And so she wanted to get She was looking for a quick fix. Whether the marriage would last, that's not important. I'd rather be someone who was married than someone who's never been married. She was looking for a quick fix, wasn't she? Her problem was not having someone. No, the problem, dear, is within you. The greatest validation you're going to have is being a child of God, not being married. <laughs> How many people are married and can say amen? Amen. Yeah. Listen, if you're looking for marriage to validate you, you're hurting. <laughs> you'll be hurting. You'll be, you know, you'll say, why, why, why does that man not love me? He's saying, why doesn't she respect me? It's like two fleas hoping the other one's the dog. You know? <laughs> no, no. See, Jesus, they were looking for a short-term kind of victory. Jesus was talking about something different. The Maccabees, they only needed a short-term loyalty. Follow me till we get that job done and then you're off the hook. Jesus was demanding more loyalty because he would provide a greater victory. One that would last forever and ever and ever. And that's what God gives us. You say, well, what about that marriage thing? I know you thought I was hope I thought you... You thought I was going to tell you about marriage, then, weren't you? Wait for my book to come out, Messianic Marriage Matters. Now you have something to pray about, okay? Understand, though, regarding Hanukkah, he would be the greater Maccabee for our lives, too, because he would come as the Savior from God, the one who would bring us out of the true bondage. It's not the government that's the bondage. No, that's not the issue at all. Because the darker it gets out there, the brighter the light shines. The issue is within us. That's where the problems are. And that's what God wants to deal with. He wants to give us a new heart, a new spirit. He wants to have a whole new inner working. So what about my circumstances? He wants to change you in the circumstances that you might have a testimony through those circumstances. That's what God is about here. And if you're just praying for change of circumstances, then you're looking for the first Maccabee, not the greater Maccabee. You're looking for a short-term fix, not an eternal salvation. We have a Savior from God. But that's not all. Notice where he goes from there. Let's look at the text again. We see, uh, move down into the middle where it says John chapter 10, verse 26. John 10, verse 26. I'm keeping my eye on the prize. I got the clock right over there, so I'm, I'm careful on all these things. You said, yeah, yeah, I know, brother, but the time was shortened for the elect, not lengthened. Notice John chapter 10, verse 26. He says, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. You do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Listen, first he is a savior from God, then he is a shepherd to God. You see the development of the thought? Because 
the Maccabees could lead them back to the temple, but that would not be the help they need. They need to come into the presence of God. This is the shepherd to bring us to God, and that's what he's talking about here. So Hanukkah, the second phase of it, speaks to what Jesus can do as the greater Maccabee. He's the one to shepherd us. As we take a look at that matter, I want us to just think about this for a second. How do you know you're his sheep? You say, well, I got baptized. Well, I hope you enjoyed your bath. <laughs> well, I took the Lord's Supper. I hope you got more to eat than that. Probably still hungry, if that's all it was. No ceremonies can help you. He doesn't talk much about ceremonies at all. Notice what he does say here. There's three things about being one of his sheep he's going to say here. And notice what he says, if you will. He's, first of all, he's going to tell them, that they rely on him. Then he's going to tell them, that's verse 26. In verse 27, he's going to tell them that they respond to him. Then in verse 28, they're going to say that they rest in him. Notice verse 26 here. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. What do you mean? To believe on the Lord is not just an intellectual assent. It's not intellectual affirmation of a bunch of facts. It's, it's relying on him, depending upon him, trusting in him. That's what it means to believe. It's not just agreeing with a bunch of facts. It's depend, just like you're sitting on that chair right now. You're probably not even thinking about it until I mentioned it because you were just kind of relying on it would do its job. So you could think and you can write down things and whatever else you had to do, right? Well, that's exactly what it is. His sheep believe him. They trust in him. They don't just hear words like people might have done, but they actually rely upon him. You say, well, well, what do you mean? He's letting them know. It's the confession of their faith. Believing is, there's no verb for faith. Faith's a noun. This, it's the confession of their faith. It's not going to be the color of their fleece. That would mean they're in the right flock. You're in the right flock because of your faith. The first thing to look at as his sheep. The second thing to look at, please notice verse 27 and what he says here. In verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Uh, let me tell you something about prayer. I, I've been doing a prayer seminar uh, for a bunch of weeks now. Uh, and one thing about prayer, the best part of prayer is the 15 minutes after you say amen when you still your heart before him so he can minister to your heart. If you're just trying to, you know, give him a, a kind of a gopher list, go for this, go for that, pick me up a couple of eggs at the store and buy me a new car and bless me abundantly, you're out of here now. You're not really understanding the issue here. He's talking about a relationship. He's talking about a relationship. The 15 minutes after you say amen is when he gets to do some talking if you quiet your heart before him. Understand it says here uh, in verse 27, he says, he says there, my sheep hear my voice, I know them. Oh, isn't that, that's the greatest words I could read. He knows me. 
He knows me. He knows me. The word in the original language has to do with experiential knowledge. Listen, he knows me not merely as a doctor, but as a fellow patient. He knows my heartache. He knows all the problems I have. He knows all my issues are not out there. He knows me. He cares about me. He wants to know me. He wants to know me more than I want to know me. I can't stand me most of the time. That's why I got to keep my eyes on him. But he knows me. He loves me. He knows me. How simple can it get? How profound is the truth of it? But understand the fact, if you hear his voice and if, you know, if he knows you, notice what he says in verse 27 there. And they follow me. They respond to me. They don't just hear my words, they respond to my words. When they believe on my word, they are doing the word. See, that's what Jesus taught us in many different places. John 13, 17, Jesus said this, if you know these things, blessed are you who do them. If you know these things, blessed are you who what? Do them. It's the doing that the blessing is. He wants you to be blessed. His sheep not only are relating to him, but they are responding to him. That's how you know what flock you're in. You're in the flock that follows the shepherd. That means you're in the right flock. But if you're in a flock, in a family, that doesn't follow the shepherd. <coughs> you say, well, what do you mean? I'm a congregation planter, and we seek your prayers to that end. But when we plant congregations, we're pretty mindful of the, uh, of the realities of life. And therefore, we seek to minister to families. Because, you see, it's strong families that make a strong congregation. A congregation is no stronger than the families that make it up. A congregation, this is a wonderful group. I can't think of one thing I don't like about this, about this place. But a congregation is no stronger than the families. Therefore, you have to have strong families. You got to work on strong families. And it's not just a strong leader. Man, that's another picture of hypocrisy. You have a strong leader and no one else cares, right? So understand the issue here. You need families that are going to be relying on him and responding to him. It's the families, it's the heads of the house that are going to be taking the spiritual leadership in the home and making a difference for that family. It's going to be the family. Understand what Jesus is saying. You're in the right flock. First of all, your confession of faith that you're relying on him. But if you're relying on him, you're going to be responding to him. See, that's how you know you're relying on him. That's how you know you're depending on him. That's how you know you're believing on him. Because faith without works is what? There you go. There you go. See, Hanukkah, without the greater Maccabee, is just an empty holiday. That's why, the, that's why we do outreaches. 
Not only because Jesus celebrated, because a great opportunity to talk about the fact that you are a temple, if you, but you're a defiled temple. <laughs> and you therefore need the Savior from God to be your shepherd to God. And therefore, we talk about him all the time and all of our outreach and everything we're doing. Because the real issue is not merely a holiday. Those are all empty and irrelevant. It's Jesus that's the reason for every season. And that's the whole deal there. If your children actually think that, that it's all about getting gifts and presents, you may be overemphasizing something. Be careful. Be careful of majoring in the minors. Because you major in the minors, you're minoring in the majors. And your kids may not get the message that you somehow stick in where you can. Be wise about these matters, because the congregation can't be any stronger than the families that make it up. So we want to understand this last thought here about the matter. This has to do with relying upon him that will be seen in responding to him uh, and understanding what, the way he looks at it. And say, so what do you mean? When God says, when it says, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, no lie is of the truth. No lie is of the truth. Can you imagine? No lie is of the truth. You say, well, what do you mean? No lie is of the truth. That's what I mean. Your only hope is everything God said is true. That he wasn't telling one little fib. There wasn't one exaggeration. And so, therefore, you have to call a lie a sin every time if you're relying on him and responding to him, because that's what he calls it. You have to agree with God that sex outside of marriage is always wrong. You have to agree with God. You have to be relying upon and responding to him. You have to be saying his way is right. I'm going to walk in his way. Even for little Michael, he'll have to learn that too. Maybe his middle name could be Sam. Well, think about that. I was trying to put in some votes there early on. But nonetheless. And so want to understand that if you're going to rely, you're going to respond. If you're not responding, you're not relying. Let's move along. Notice what he says here now in verse 28. He says in verse 28, and I give eternal life to them. Aren't you glad it doesn't say, and I sell eternal life to them? I mean, what would a man give for his soul? <laughs> You'd pay anything. You'd give everything. You'd, but that's not it. It's a gift, isn't it? Many people don't understand this eternal life business. Uh, he says here, I give eternal life to them. I give eternal life to them. Eternal life is not just living long. Eternal life is the life of God himself. It's God's life. You have God's life. Eternal life tells you as long as God lives, you live. You say, well, I'm going to physically die. Oh, sure, we all got a short shelf life in that regard. But understand, uh, uh, you know, one day you're going to have my... Alex is going to get up here one day. He's going to say, I got some good news for you. Sam Nadler died. 
Don't you believe him? I'll be more alive then than ever before. I'll be rid of all these shackles and all these issues and having to wear the warmest clothing I have when winter comes. Are you kidding me? I'll get rid of this clay shack and I will now be in the presence of the living God. Why? Because when I trusted in Jesus, I received eternal life. You see, in 1948, I was physically born. I was born of the Spirit in 1972. I have eternal life now and forever. And so we want to understand what he's giving us. And that's why people have a confidence. Why would you have confidence? Because they can only kill you. They can only kill the body. That's all. <laughs> but that's all you want. And Paul said, Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is So what are you against gain? <laughs> it's all gain. But understand that's from God's perspective. From our immature perspective, we may resist the whole issues there, but if you do that, you'll never be confident in the Lord. You'll have a fear of death all over you. You won't be living eternal life. You'll be living in the fear of death, and every other phobia comes out of the fear of death. That's where condemnation comes from, when you feel you're going to be condemned. Perfect love casts out all fear. There is no condemnation to those in Messiah Jesus. Why is that? Because he took my condemnation for me and he gave me eternal life. And it's a free gift of God. And therefore I can go to countries uninvited and tell people about the gospel who never wanted to ask. Most Jewish people, if they never heard one more thing about Jesus, they'd be just as happy. Thank you. But I know that if they knew Jesus like I know Jesus, they'd even like me. You know, they'd be able to tolerate me. So understand eternal life. It's what he gives us now and forever. And let's look at what it says there. They will never perish. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are believers and have eternal life? Perfect. Will you ever perish? No. No. You'll never perish. See, Hanukkah is a reminder of the greater victory that we have in the Lord. He demands a greater loyalty to give us a greater victory because he has a greater security over our life. And we want to understand that he has it for us now and forever. Hanukkah was a time the early church, therefore, were orienting themselves around the fact that as a temple they were redeemed. They were therefore a temple of the Holy Spirit, and therefore they were living out that eternal life in the Lord. And so we want to understand what he says here at the end of that verse. He says, you will never perish, and no one will snatch you out of my hand. Do you believe that? Yeah. yeah every time I get one of those, those calls from people want to, you know, they call me around dinner time, and they want to sell me insurance. I tell them, well, first of all, let me, let, me, let me tell you something. I got something that's better than you got. He said, he said, what? I said, you can only give me insurance for this life. I have insurance forever, for eternal life. No one can snatch me out of his hand. No one can snatch me out of, do you believe that? 
you are therefore more than conquerors. You realize that you can do all things through Messiah who strengthens you. Because nothing can stop you in light of God's calling upon you. That was the whole point of Hanukkah, to realize what God has done for us. The Maccabees gave a short-term victory. We have an eternal victory and the security that the world cannot understand. Listen, right now people are saying, I'm so glad, you know, Israel must be breathing a sigh of relief that the United States has recognized Jerusalem and is sending its embassy over to Jerusalem. Are you crazy? Israel doesn't need the United States. The United States needs Israel. Understand the issues from God's point of view here. It's in our best interest to be on the right side of history. We're on the right side of history when we actually pray for the peace of Jerusalem and do what is right in the sight of God. And so we want to understand the issue. No one can snatch us out of our hand. That's why there's still a Jew here talking to you. It's not because, it's not because Hitler was inefficient. It's because there's a God who secured our people. And it's his promises that we stand upon. And therefore you can be assured in his promises that no one will snatch you out of his hand. And you can be more than conquerors. You could stand up to whatever God has for you. You could speak truth to power. And therefore, have integrity when you bring the truth to the powerless. Because God has called us to such a time. And Hanukkah is a reminder of the life we're called to live. Notice, if you will, as we now go down to the last part. John chapter 10, notice a little further down on your page. You say, what about these other verses? Ain't got time for them. John chapter 10, verse 29. John chapter 10, verse 29, 30. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. Now, everyone that he was talking to would agree with him. Everyone there, all of Israel said, of course, God's greater than all. Absolutely. He knew that. He knew that's how they feel about what he was saying at that point. He says here, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Well, that's for sure. But then he makes this outrageous statement. I and the father are one. No one liked that. The next verse, if you got your own Bible, the next verse, they picked up stones to stone him with. You say, why would they do that? Because he was declaring himself to be God. I and the Father are one. We say every uh, on Saturday mornings in our services, we say, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Here is Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's what Jesus is referring to here. I and the Father are one. And though we want to understand the matters, what is the matter? Jesus demands more loyalty because he gives us a greater victory with greater security because he has greater authority. That's what Jesus has for our life. You say, well, what do you mean? Goliath is standing at the door. I'm telling you now, there are going to be problems this next year. You don't know what's going to happen. You say, why? Because the point of commitment is the point of attack. And therefore, there'll be an enemy coming after you. They, he's prowls like, the devil prowls like a lion seeking he might devour. But I want you to know something. How could David stand up to a Goliath? 
How could David stand up to a Goliath? Was he so young, a teenager, that he was kind of minimizing the problem? No, it's because David saw someone bigger than the problem. God is greater than all. I and the Father are one. The one who conquered death will always be able to give you that victory regardless of the Goliath that you will be facing. And as much as Michael is going to be a beautiful baby boy, he'll be a little sinner. But he needs to know. <laughs> They're always so cute. But understand, he needs to know one who will be a savior from God who will be the shepherd to God because he's the son of God. No one is going to be greater for their child than our Lord and our Savior here. And so we want to understand what he's saying here. We have this inseparable relationship with God. Nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Paul said, I'm persuaded of these things, death, no life, principalities, whatever. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. You have an inseparable relationship with the living God. Hanukkah is a reminder every year to the early church, and I believe it should be to the present day church, of what God is doing that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Defiled by sin, we have a Savior from God. We have a, world, a life to be lived as we follow him all the way back to heaven because he's the son of God. He can make a difference in our life and nothing else can. That's why Hanukkah is meant by God for us to, be un, to understand it. That's why John included it in his gospel writing. He demands a greater loyalty, but he gives a greater victory because he has a greater security for he has a far greater authority. If you will understand this and rely upon him, respond to him, you will rest in him as well. Yeshua, Jesus is the victory. He's our victor, isn't he? Following him is our victory in him. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for this little-known holiday called Hanukkah. And we're thankful that it was so meaningful to our Lord. And we pray that it'll be meaningful to us. As we recognize that though the enemy wanted to annihilate us, you kept your word, you kept your promises, so that we'd be a Jewish people and there might be a Christmas. So that we might appreciate the promises of God. Now we ask, Lord, for any of us here who may not have relied upon you, draw us to yourself. For those of us that may have relied, but we haven't matured enough to respond and follow you, you want us to be your disciples, your followers, to testify of your grace and goodness, of the eternal life we have as we live as conquerors, as victors in our Messiah. For it's in his name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.